Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the self-proclaimed preeminent number one podcast and video stream dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of our favorite territory, the American Wrestling Association, based out of our home base, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, not technically Minneapolis, it's Golden Valley, but I'm in the Minneapolis area. Not really Minneapolis, well, my mailing address is Minneapolis, but I'm really in a suburb. Uh, so is uh, Joe Chupik and Mick Karch, and they join me now. And I didn't want to give away our location, but I want people to know that we are based in the Twin Cities, in the hub. We are all in different parts of the metro, but we are indeed based here in the home of the AWA. Absolutely. Home base it is. And uh, it started here and it ended in the general vicinity. And uh, (laughs) general general vicinity, general vicinity, you know, it it, it kind of came to a halt, but uh, yeah, yeah, glad that we're all here again. And boy, what response we've gotten to the first two shows, you know, talking about the all star wrestling memories, just great. Can't wait for episode three, but Chris, I got a question for you. Okay, every show, we're the preeminent number one self proclaimed. AWA podcast. Yeah, that, that's my shtick. That's that's what I do. And, and I love it. Very, uh, very appropriate. Serious okay. question. Yes. Is, are either of you aware of another AWA podcast? Don't mention them. We don't want, you know, want to plug the, uh, the, the competition, but are we the only AWA podcast? To my knowledge, we are the only one that is yes. dedicated specifically to the AWA. So we are the major league of AWA podcast. Oh, my. Bravo. Yes. We, wow. we really are. And you know something? To, that, to- that, that, that was just as good as Norm, uh, uh, Norm McDonald setting up the moth joke with uh, Conan <laughs> O'Brien years ago. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, that was a brilliant setup, Joe. I didn't know where you were going, but the payoff, mwah, fabulous. Very, so, very good. That, that's, sometimes, that's... It, sometimes it does take a while, but <laughs> speaking of setups, Chris, let's talk about our sponsors. Let's do it. Uh, Mick, I know you had something you wanted to say. Before, uh, just before to say, you know, not only are we the major league, but to uh, take an NWA quote from the 1980s, where they said, we wrestle, mm-hmm. we podcast. <laughs> That's what we do. Oh, we, we podcast. Oh, we will podcast your face off. You're damn right we will. That's what we will. That's you know, right. But if you've got a face and you don't want it to be off, you need some pizza to put in your mouth, which is on your face, before we podcast your face off. But that being said, you see the logo up there, 7th Avenue Pizza. It is the best frozen pizza on the market, you guys. It is, uh, believe me, body by pizza. That's what I do. 7th Avenue Pizza, absolutely fantastic. Matt and, uh, and the entire crew, it's all over the Twin Cities. And uh, check them out, a whole bunch of different retailers. If for some reason you can't find them in your area, let me know. Hit us up in the comments. Hit me up on Twitter, AWA Unleashed. At CM Tubbs, you can hit us up on Facebook, uh, 7thAvenuePizza.com. As well, guys, if you like some swag, and I believe the kids call it drip nowadays. You guys look like you got some major drip. I, I went to the doctor for that. I believe there are wipes for that as well. But if you want 
some real drip, as the kids would say. Rep the AWA Unleashed Army with the only place you can get your officially licensed AWA Unleashed merchandise, sodasticco.com. I, th- I think your dog wants I think whose dog is that? Is that, is that Sid? Yeah, that, that's, that's Sid, and I believe he's going to be ordering a T-shirt that's you know, it. Uh, momentarily. Uh, they, I believe they have a line of canine T-shirts. They and, do. Uh, I think it says preeminent, by the way. I believe so, yeah. Yes. And but, uh, so, yeah, thank, appreciate it. So when does when do the dog and the cat get into a uh, a, a dog chain match? Mick? They are separated. They uh, they are, are are separated by different eight. locker rooms. It's kayfabe. There's kayfabe at, at your house. Dogs and cats. That's exactly right. Yeah. And when orders want to see it. Locker room A and locker room B, and there is no connecting hall so they can discuss the finish either. So, <laughs> do they go to you then? You, t- you talk right. to McKenzie, then you talk to Sid. See, I will. Good. I will give them their instructions. This that's is right. where this is where we're at. We are so personal here with you guys that we know the names of each other's pets. Isn't that something? And we've also killed the first forty-five minutes of the show. All right, so good we- show, guys. Good show. Great. Hey, great stuff. <laughs> Best podcast ever. We told you we podcast your face off. Okay, so uh, we do have a fun one here, you guys. This is part three of three where we're talking about some of the memories from All-Star Wrestling. And and this is kind of where a majority of individuals, we've got the studio shows later on, like, you know, you guys were talking. Later on, the arena shows, we're not talking about that. So there are some of them that I had memories of, but it didn't necessarily fit the criteria. So we kind of moved on from that. But these are all-star wrestling moments, guys. And we had really good response, like you guys said, all kidding aside. And we've got some really good ones here. And, Joe, I'm going to let you take it because the first one that we start out with uh, was the uh, little bit of a fracturing of a family, as you would say. This one, if we were to rank all of the studio situations that happen in the AWA. If this one isn't at the top, I pretty much guarantee that it would be voted on near the top, if not at the top. And this is the breakup of the Bobby the Brain Heenan family. There there we got Bobby on the left, Nick in the middle and Ray Stevens on the right. And, and by the way, is there a better name for a stable than a family? Like the Heenan family, it's just so good. I mean, so, so good. They had the cults thing, cult thing working before, uh, <laughs> before many others did. But no, this one, I mean, I remember seeing this on TV I was shocked, happy, and upset. Shocked that it happened. Happy that Bobby and Nick finally got their comeuppance. But I was sad because I love to hate the Heenan family. So I was torn in so many ways, but unquestionably one of the biggest angles ever run on All-Star Wrestling. No question about it. And, you know, there that was the culmination where Nick and Ray actually wrestled against each other uh, after the breakup of the Heenan family. That is a, that's a great action shot, by the way. Like, just the, the, the back, you know, the wrist lock that 
Uh, Nick's got Ray in. I mean, that's that is a great photograph right there. You know, and from my perspective, I was heartbroken when it happened because, of course, you know, I'm, I'm the uh, leader of the Bachwinkle Brigade at the time, and, and Ray were, was right up there as one of the heroes. But it was so well done, and again, we've talked that slow burn, that slow buildup. This wasn't an angle that was hot-shotted in one day on TV. It did kind of come out of the blue, but you could you could see the, the it was percolating. And uh, for weeks, they would not let Ray Stevens talk during their interview segments. The family would come out, you know, in various incarnations of the family. Ray would try to say something, and Bobby or Nick or someone else would cut him off. And uh, they just would not let him speak. Gets to the point where Bobby Heenan is being awarded the Manager of the Year trophy by Bill Abner, our good buddy. And I believe it was the third or fourth time in a row that Bobby had been awarded uh, that, uh, that trophy, which he made a point of mentioning during the presentation. Well, it all comes to a head. And Ray is going to attempt to congratulate Bobby Heenan on his, his trophy, on his award. And again, they won't let him talk. Well, now Ray's had enough. He's, he calls, he says to Heenan, you little punk, you, because... Bobby says, Ray, shut up when I'm talking out here. And uh, it all exploded, and the Heenan family attacked Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens demolished Bobby's trophy. Ray said, I quit the Heenan family. Heenan says, you can't quit. You're fired. And uh, it, it was just legendary. What was great about this is that not only did they get a series of matches out of it between Nick and Ray on a, on a singles basis, Ray also... I teamed up with Vern Gagne at one point after he went babyface uh, in the Twin Cities area. And interestingly enough, a few years later, they re-teamed Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens and never mentioned that there had been a split or a uh, uh, any kind of a uh, chasm in the, in the relationship or whatever, just like it never happened. Did, and, did uh, they Nick, figure that wrestling fans would just forget or... I mean, um, that, I mean that that would have been perfect to play off of because no internet, no way to find out. Like it, it would be so easy to sweep something out of the rug. Absolutely, and that's exactly what it is. And in this day and age, you couldn't get away with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, back then uh, they just ignored it. Nick and Ray were kind of you know getting towards the uh, the twilight of their career when they re-teamed them. But again, they never explained it. But what a tremendous, tremendous angle! Uh, loved it. You know, the when you first started describing it, Mick, fast forward maybe about, maybe about a 10, 12 years from when this incident happened. And there's another tag team in the AWA, and I'm digressing a little bit, but the, the uh, Destruction Crew, where uh -huh. Wayne the Train Bloom would not let Mean Mike Enos talk. Now, it never, it never broke up. It never happened. But it's just sort of another indication of professional wrestling. It recycled angles, slightly changed, updated, and whatever. But yeah, gotta love, gotta love this business. The the yes. um, the the storylines, shall we say, are unique. If even if they are replicated, and and you know what better three guys to pull this off than Stevens, Bockwinkle, and Heenan. And they did it just masterfully. Just one of the greatest angles, like you said, Joe, ever. 
So we've go from Bobby the Brain Hina, that dastardly manager, to another guy who um, at least tried to maybe do it with a little bit of British class. Lord Alfred Hayes, or as my favorite uh, wrestler used to call him, Elfinko Hayes. This one, th th this next angle that happened involves both of those guys that I said, and it's Lord Alfred Hayes, Super Destroyer Mark II, and the Crusher. And then I'm going to save the last person because let's, Let's go into the angle. Let's Mick, go ahead and set up what happened and how our fourth guy got thrown. Crusher, uh, damn, stay out of the blueberry pie. Um, love that picture of Crusher. That is classic. Love it, love it. That's from the cover of a Wrestling World magazine back in the 1960s. Uh, Super Destroyer Mark II, who had taken over from the departed Super Destroyer One. Uh, Don Jardine, Don left the area, and Super Destroyer 2, of course, was our friend Bob Remus, Sergeant Slaughter, and uh, Lord Alfred Hayes and Super Destroyer Mark II got into it with the Crusher on television, and, uh, you know, th there was, uh, Crusher was kind of mocking Lord Alfred Hayes, wearing a tuxedo, and, uh, you know, Crusher was hardly the guy that you would expect to come out in the tuxedo, but he did just to kind of stick the needle into Lord Alfred a little bit. And Lord Alfred Hayes, of course, uh, did not take too kindly to this. Uh, Super D Mark II. Oh, you, you never know that either. That would be Sarge with that chin sticking out of there. But uh, Super D2 and Lord Alfred went after the Crusher on TV. They tore his tuxedo. And I don't know if Vern paid for the tuxedo like he did with mine because, you know, certainly that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't go over very well. But Crusher needed a tag team partner to wrestle against Lord Alfred Hayes and Super Destroyer Mark II. And as you've said in the past, Joe, a guy just happened to be underneath the ring adjusting the springs and boards or whatever underneath the ring. <laughs> And he was in a full, you know, work suit, which I had never seen him in before in all the years that he, you know, was setting up and tearing down the ring. And that's our good buddy, George Scrap Iron Gadaski. And there's old George. Speaking of tuxedos, there's George right there. And I, again, George just happened to be in his his everyday worker's outfit, workman's outfit, underneath <laughs> the ring. How and about that? Crusher, Crusher pulled him into the interview area. <laughs> And from that point on, it was George Scrap Iron Gadaski and the Crusher that were feuding with Lord Alfred Hayes and Super D Mark II. And, of course, the storyline was the Lord Alfred was mortified that he would have to get in the ring with a commoner like George Scrap Iron Gadaski, the working man with dirty fingernails and sweaty armpits and everything else. And he was just appalled by that. The great part about this is that George was already a cult hero in the Twin Cities, as was, you know, Kenny J. And they gave George that shot. They gave him the opportunity to, to shine and get some main events out of the deal. And it was absolutely brilliant. As I recall it, um, when Crusher came out and started mocking Lord L. Finkel Hayes, 
Was it, was it not his, the, his tuxedo? And keep in mind, this is back in the 1970s, but wasn't it like the classic powder blue? It was. So, yeah, we, yeah. so they, they finally attack Crusher. They end up ripping the tuxedo apart. Um, if I also, if I'm remembering correctly, they got to his sunglasses. He had one sunglass lens popped out, one dark one still in there, goes over and has the interview with Marty O'Neill, <laughs> or maybe it was Gene, getting interviewed. Crusher goes off on a classic, classic promo. And I remember it because I used this, uh, the, the, this angle in one of the pay-per-views that I had done. So do yourself a favor if you want to see it. Look it up on YouTube. The pay-per-views have been pirated and uploaded to YouTube in many ways, shapes, and form. But classic, classic Crusher, classic everything. Absolutely love this angle. Poor George with the dirty fingernails. You know what a what a horrible, horrible insult to a guy. You know, I, I he uh, he probably hung out with. You know, what Lord Alfred referred to as the trollops and wenches, uh, the the women of the Twin Cities metro area and AWA and surrounding area. But great, great angle. And God loved George Gadaski. He loved every minute of it. And he deserved the spotlight. Well, from British class of Lord Elfinko Hayes to... A Holly or Beverly Hills, California class. Our good friend, rest in peace, Nick Bockwinkle, got into it with the truck driver, Bulinski. There's a classic picture of Nick, and I knew this particular memory would ring true with you, Joe, being the Bulinski fan that you are. Uh, our good friend, Frank Shields, the late Bo Bulinski, who Boy, I tell you what, he was a journeyman wrestler, and he had worked as the wrecker. He had worked as, you know, uh, uh, Bruiser Frank or whatever else, and he came into the Twin Cities AWA area at the time that there was a nationwide trucker strike. And the AWA, as wrestling is known to do, kind of jumped on the opportunity to, uh, to play off what was really happening in the real world in the news, and Bull was an out-of-work truck driver. And it was only unnatural that he would team up with somebody like the Crusher, you know, the working man's uh, tag team combination. Bull had been here for a while, and Nick Bockwinkle, on the other hand, had come in in November of 1970. So we're about six months into Nick's time here in the AWA, and he's starting to establish himself as a pretty serious contender. Well, they do this angle on television. And again, simple. The simplistic is the best. Uh, Bull Belinsky wrestles Nick Bockwinkel on TV in a two out of three fall match. At the end of the first fall, and, and that, is the, that is the concluding moment, how we get to this is at the end of the first fall, Bull was attempting to leapfrog over Nick Bockwinkle, and he didn't quite get there. And Nick's head caught Bull in the lower abdomen into the nether region, and they had to stop the match because Bull was injured after that first fall. Bockwinkle, being the great gregarious guy that he was, said, I'm going to give this guy a couple of minutes to recuperate 
you know, and then we'll go to fall number two. Well, Nick's couple of minutes to recuperate turned into about 30 seconds. Nick was never known as a very patient guy, and he climbed to the top rope, as you saw in that photo, and he jumped on the rather ample uh, exposed midsection of Bolbolinski. And uh, sad to say, and this is actually a fact, from that point on, Bull's AWA career, the trajectory kind of went downward. Uh, he started being more of a mid-card guy than a main event guy, although they did bring him and Nick back uh, for a couple of matches here in the AWA area. Didn't draw very well. I asked Nick about it, and he said nobody expected that Bolinsky was going to handle my case back then, so nobody bought a ticket. Uh, but nonetheless, this is really, in my estimation, what established Nick Bockwinkle as a consummate heel, you know, and a big star here in the AWA, his association or his, or his run-in with Bobolinsky. Nick, quick question on Nick. So, I, I mean, he appeared on, um, uh, on an episode of The Monkees on Hollywood Squares. Was all of that pre-November of 70 when he yes. arrived? Yeah, yes, it was. The, the Monkees, uh, the Hollywood Squares, this is all 1960s stuff. Uh, he was on an episode of Hawaii Five O, I believe, in 1968 or 69. So this is kind of while he's wrestling out on the West Coast, Los Angeles and Hawaii and that area. So he was kind of a known commodity there. So, you know, he branched out into, into other stuff besides pro wrestling and came here from Atlanta, actually, in November of 1970. Nick had wrestled uh, extensively down in Georgia, was the Georgia heavyweight champion for a while, and then came up here in November of 1970. I believe the Belinsky angle was probably April-ish of 1971. Yeah, I've just learned something about our good friend Nick Bockwinkle. So another angle that happened around that time uh, involved Dr. X, and th this one actually ended up uh, being a tragic situation. Mick, uh, I don't remember it, but tell us about Dr. X and the wrestler who ended up dying after a match. It is a tragic situation, and unfortunately, it was not the first or last time that a wrestler died after a match or during a match in pro wrestling. What happened here in the Twin Cities, and again, this is on all-star wrestling, Dr. X is, he is a well-established uh, heel villain here in the AWA, uh, at least a few years away from his baby face turn. And he's wrestling a guy by the name of Guy Taylor. And Guy had been a journeyman wrestler around the country, and he was actually living in Minneapolis at the time, uh, wrestled pretty extensively as an AWA enhancement guy on television. So it's your typical, there's, there's Guy Taylor. Uh, typical match, nothing real spectacular about it. What was interesting is that Guy Taylor at one point in the match and I noticed this, and I, you know, I'm a teenager at the time. Something happened where a guy hit the back of his head on the lower rope strand uh, at, at some point in the match, and it looked like, oh man, you know, this guy, that, that could be pretty serious stuff. Well, turns out, and I'm not making a definitive correlation. I'm not a coroner. I'm not going to, you know, go there at all. But Guy Taylor actually, at the end of the match, he's waiting to get his paycheck from Wally Carbo uh, back in the control room. And the guy collapsed and died. Uh, 
uh, shortly after the match, right there at the TV studio. Uh, they couldn't revive him, and the cause of death was ruled a heart attack. So, you know, uh, again, not to cast any aspersions on what happened, but I, I just thought it was kind of coincidental. It looked like he seriously had snapped his neck, and whether or not that led to anything, I don't know. But uh, So you didn't see, of course, Guy Taylor collapsing or anything on TV, but he was just, you know, I don't know, 25, 30 years old, something like that at the time. So out of the blue, uh, definitely a tragedy. Guy Taylor and Dr. X incident uh, back, I believe, 1968. Wow. Never, I didn't even know that that happened. Well, let's go from a journeyman, enhancement talent slash jobber to uh, another one. Let's, we're, we're going ahead probably, what, a uh, little under 20 years later. <laughs> this one I remember because I was a part of production crew wise. We're going to Jake Milliman, and I'm assuming that this is the Turkey on a pole match. It is against Colonel De Beers, and it was done in yes, in a studio, and yes, there were no fans. So there's the setup for it. Mick, take it away, and I'll fill in whatever blanks because I saw that match way too many times on my end. You know what, Joe? And I actually was going to say I'm going to defer to you on this uh, in a lot of ways because it was such a dismal time period for the AWA. Uh, they're in an empty studio with that pink backdrop, as I recall. There's the good Colonel Ed Wiskoski, Colonel De Beers. And they're, they're having a turkey on a pole match. I, I, I'm quite sure that it's not the first or only time that, that uh, a wrestler, you know, has had a, a pole shoved up his ass, some turkey in a, in a wrestling match somewhere along the line. But there you see Jake holding the turkey, and there's that massive throng of two or three uh, security guards uh, the reason that they had security guards, of course, and the whole ridiculous premise behind the closed studio was that too many wrestlers were interfering in each other's matches. Things were getting out of hand, so they're going to ban fans from the studio. They're going to ban other wrestlers for interfering. They're going to have security guys as opposed to saying we aren't drawing shit anymore <laughs> at the arena, so we might as well just do a, a closed studio setting. Nonetheless, Jake Milliman went over. He defeated Colonel De Beers in the turkey on a pole match, climbs up and extricates this poor turkey, Tom Turkey, I believe, from the, from the pole and carries it down in victorious fashion. And I think if you were to ask Ed Wisgoski, Colonel Beers, De Beers, where this match ranked in his illustrious career, um, I don't think it would be right near the top. There was just so much wrong with the match. The uh, I, I will I gotta say that the underlying premise of the Team Challenge series, <laughs> when when I remember talking to Greg about the whole idea when it when it was first hatched, and I'm like I. 
something different, you know, doing, getting teams and getting some points. And it's like, okay, you know, maybe it'll work. But then you go into a pink studio and you got a turkey with a pole shoved up its ass Mm -hmm. to be a part. (laughs) Talk about going downhill fast. Jake, I'll give it to Jake. He, he, he got over her. <laughs> he got over Colonel De Beers on All Star Wrestling and a journeyman wrestler. And, you know, I think uh, safe to say that Jake lost more matches than he even came close to winning, but he was a fan favorite. Um, thanks to Jesse and his whole give Jake a break uh, gimmick. So, you know, Jake had a following. But this entire match and the whole team challenge series should have been followed into the dumpster where the fire had already commenced for the AWA, sadly. For, for me, I saw the team challenge series and, you know, I, I was a young kid at the time, maybe, um, I don't know, 12, or, uh, not really that young. But to me, I, I didn't know any better with the AWA. I didn't realize what it was. I knew that something just seemed a little weird with it (laughs) because I I was like, okay, this doesn't look like any other wrestling that I've ever seen. I do like the idea of the team challenge series. And I know that we're, you know, we had planned on doing a show and we're still going to do a show. We just, we've had some things that have been moved around, but I will say Jake Milliman to me was one of my all time and still is one of my all time favorites, Jake, the milkman Milliman. And you know, we've kind of mentioned between that and George Gadaski. One thing I, I kind of get the feeling from here, guys, is that one thing that's missing now from long-term storytelling is, yes, we, we see the cat in the blinds, is the enhancement talent really getting an opportunity to shoot to that next level. Like, there, we don't have those. I mean, maybe the WWE at James Elfworth, you know, several years ago. But outside of that, we don't have these these squash matches and these guys that all of a sudden they get thrown into this and they just they get their rub, their shine. We don't see that anymore. Chris, you're so right. And what will happen nowadays, if they're going to do it at all, they'll introduce some guy in some city as being from that city, you know, to, to pop the crowd a little bit. You know, yeah. this is Joe Blow from Antioch, Illinois or whatever it is. And so the crowd's real excited about God, this. That's guy. a random pull. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, but what happens is that the crowd will start chanting, let's go jobber. Let's go jobber. And to talk about how the business has changed over the years, but the Kenny J's, the George Kadaskis, the Jake Millimans of the world had paid their dues in the AWA. That's the thing. They had, ingratiated themselves to the crowd. They were cult heroes. So every once in a while, Vern would give them the shine. And I would have to say, if you think about it, that Team Challenge series may as well have been relabeled the AWA Team Poultry uh, series because not only did they involve the turkey in the match, oh, no. but if you remember, the the uh, team of Bluminus, I believe, were in the fried chicken <laughs> uh, at Popeye's. So the AWA, I mean, my God, really, this is this is the Gene Kaniski, Vern Gagne, Nick Bockwinkel promotion. 
I guarantee you, had they lasted a little bit longer, the turkey would have had surgery and probably <laughs> teamed up with somebody in a tag team title match. I, I yeah, that's the way it was going. <laughs> you're 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 not wrong, Mick, and and uh, I want to go back to the enhancement talent. Or I'm I'm going to call them jobbers. That's what that's what okay. we called them back in the day. Yep. Not only did they get their their break and uh, receive some adoration from the fans, but it was because of the type of people that they were in the locker room and behind the scenes. Vern didn't just throw them in there. I mean, all three of these guys were, they endeared themselves to the front office. They did what they were told. They did what they were asked to do. They didn't bitch. They didn't cry. They just, they did what they needed to do. And so Vern repaid them by getting them into these angles. And so well-deserved on all of them. Um, as far as the team challenge series, oh man, there's, there's not a big enough shovel to, 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 to bury that in my memory, but it is indeed and was indeed a part of uh, of the AWA, uh, including our next angle. This one, um, th- th- this was an interview. Um, Larry Nelson, who gave me the moniker Polish Joe, was interviewing Al, there's Uncle Larry. God, he was so damn good. He would, he would hit the countdown mark with... Uh, Whole nother story with Larry. But Larry is interviewing Al Darusha to promote um, small towns. Because all, all of the smaller high school shows that were done back in the 60s, 70s, and uh, even in the 80s, Al Darusha with assured promotions, and assured was spelled Darusha backwards, by the way. Really? But Larry's interviewing Al Darusha. And shortly into the interview, this beast of a man breaks through the back interview wall that, by the way, my dad had constructed uh, the door or the door. The wall was gimmicked and the blaster breaks through the wall. Now, he was you can see the picture there with the, the whole all long arm black sleeve. Well, would you say that he blasted through the wall? He, well, no, because when he first broke through the wall, he actually stumbled not as bad as, uh, what was the gimmick in the- Shockmaster. Shockmaster. Oh my God. Yeah. Not, he didn't fall and lose his, <laughs> his, <laughs> his headgear like, like, uh, like that. But the blaster did indeed have some issues. In fact, he ended up cutting the inside of his arm trying to break through the wall. But the, 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 the blaster was originally, the gimmick was going to be the master blaster from uh, the Mel Gibson movies. Um, what the hell were those called? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know what they are. But that, that was a whole gimmick, but then the copyright infringement, so they shortened it up to the blaster, and uh, the blaster's career was um, shortened up as quickly as, as the name was. But this, this interview 
Mad, the, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, by the way. Thank you. The Mad, yeah, Mad Max movies. This interview actually, it, it's become a, a bit of a cult classic because of Larry's reaction and everything for it. In fact, this because of this interview, it was the reason that I got asked to be on my very first podcast as a guest several years ago to discuss this angle and uh, unique, different, special. You could include it all in there. Uh, it was fun. I was running camera on that, on that angle and it was fun. And we were only going to be able to do one take because there was only one wall to be able to break through. So no matter what happened, the interview needed to go on. I believe the mass or the blaster's name was Gary Lindgren. And uh, I don't know if he's still with us. I know that he had a serious medical issue uh, somewhere along the way. So, so I honestly, I, I don't know. You mentioned Larry Nelson's reaction and I mean, it, it is probably the last time I heard the expression, what in the blue-eyed world are you trying to do? You broke the wall. Now, Larry is jumping up and down. I mean, he literally, ladies and gentlemen, this six-foot-three-inch guy with a beard and a microphone is jumping up and down in place. And he's just, I don't know if, if Larry's having a stroke if he's having an orgasm, I'm not sure what it was, but Larry's reaction to that, you would have thought that World War III was starting. Um, as far as the blaster is concerned, I don't know if that was going to be Vern's answer to Iron Mike Sharp with the, the long gimmick uh, on the arm. Uh, it certainly didn't go anywhere. Uh, either did the blaster. He wrestled around the AWA, around the horn for a very short time. And then, uh, poof, you know, the trap door opened and he was gone. But in AWA history, you know, it's funny what people remember because they'll say, hey, who is that? Was that Baron Von Raschke that came through? No, it wasn't Baron Von Raschke. It wasn't Sky Lolo, Vern Gagne, or any other bald-headed guy that you want to mention. It was the blaster and legendary for his brief few seconds in the AWA. And your dad... Your dad, you said, put the put the wall together to only to have it destroyed in a moment of fury by the blaster. Man, that's we had that's set awesome. up the studio. Um, Mick, you you were there. Um, you had done some interviews. You're in the studio, and we were on that blue wall. Yes. Okay. Yes. So if you're looking at it this way. Uh, my dad had constructed a, a wall off to the right as you're looking at the interview set and then another one in the back. And we used the, the intention was to put all of our equipment behind the wall. So the boys weren't fucking with it, which they did, you know, every occasion because, well, they were just grown up teenagers. Yeah. This wall, the intention when it was built, we knew that that was going to happen. Vern also knew that he was going to have to pay for my dad to come in to then fix that. Well, it was actually my dad and my one of my brothers who uh, helped my dad um, do construction back in the day. Um, but much like my dad had done, uh, my, my dad didn't 
construct stuff that was made for TV. In other words, light, movable, and let's go. No, my dad built a sheetrock wall and, you know, something that was going to withstand, uh, you know, a couple of nuclear blasts. And uh, blast it did with a blaster coming through <laughs> through this wall. And the other thing you mentioned, the orgasm part, that podcast that I did, that's what they referred. They they called Larry Orgasmic Larry Nelson. And so you weren't you weren't off on that description whatsoever. Um, Who would have ever thought that the podcast would come down to this talking about Larry Nelson and orgasms? I mean it. <sighs> What is this episode seventy five? And it took us that long to, you know. Anyway, I did well, not have I did not have that on my uh, AWA Unleashed podcast bingo card. But no. nonetheless, that box has been checked. Yeah, yeah. Nor nor will we have any a, uh, AWA Unleashed swag uh, with the word orgasm on it. I I don't think you know it may be a big seller, but I personally wouldn't wear one. <laughs> the one thing that I I wanted to mention. <laughs> As opposed to the Shockmaster incident uh, down in Atlanta when the Shockmaster burst through a wall and then fell on his face, our good friend Fred Ottman. Mm -hmm. The difference here is that you did not hear Ole Anderson (laughs) in the background saying, God damn it, I knew that was going to happen. A little bit different. What the hell are you doing? Now you got paws and everything else going. Paws um, and tails and who knows what. Man, oh man. But I, I love that. And again, if Gary Lindgren is still out there, I, I don't know. If somebody knows about his whereabouts right now, uh, you know, let us know. Uh, great, great angle. Uh, brief time, brief moment in history in the AWA. Uh, yeah, I guess fortunately, though, the last thing I'll say about it is you talked about the angle not going anywhere. Gary disappeared quickly some would ask why it was even tried in the first place yet again this was on the uh, on the downslide of the AWA and there were many things that were thrown against the wall to see if they would stick and unfortunately everything that was thrown at the wall or most everything that was thrown at the wall at that time was a super ball that came back and hit the AWA right in the face and Perfect. Yeah, and and this was one of them. But let's go on to an angle that actually uh, we're going back to, I believe, the later 1970s. And this angle did stick for a little while. The dastardly Iraqi, Sheikh Adnan L. I like to eat garlic Casey against Tito Santana. Well, there's, there's, uh, that's the Adnan action figure, I believe. Uh, but Sheik Adnan LKC, and I just an interesting interesting aside. When Adnan came into the AWA, and I see him on television, I'm recognizing him, and and I could not place where I had seen this guy before. I knew he wasn't a Sheik, you know, like Ed Fairhat, you know, out out in Detroit. But then all of a sudden, he hit me. Damn it, that's Billy White Wolf. That's Chief Billy White Wolf, uh, now wrestling as Sheik Adnan LKC. Uh, Adnan didn't need a lot of impetus to get over as a heel. Uh, he, it was already tailor-made for him. The Iraqi uh, invader coming into the AWA area, and Tito Santana, of course, very, very popular 
uh, was already getting his uh, kind of getting his his wheels underneath him here in the AWA. And Adnan, of course, had a dancing girl with him. One of his harem. 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 Yes. Hey, and, did, did, uh, you, did you move over to block the cat, Mick? You move. There you go. You can. Da, 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 oh God! Da, da. God knows. I don't want to. You know. Da, da, da. Okay. The there, there, there you go. Don't there be up paging the cat. No. I can't. I can't. <laughs> no. I, I, no. I, actually, you you had kind of shifted off to the. I, I don't know if that's the way you hang, the way you shift, but your body itself had kind of shifted to the. Well, you know what? The more the, the more the cats on on uh, the podcast here, the more you're going to be stuck for royalties eventually for the cat. <laughs> Okay, go, go ahead, though. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Sheik Adnan, and uh, he had his harem. He had his dancing girl. And uh, Tito's in the ring. He's, he's going to wrestle. And you hear the music of the dancing girl, the uh, belly dance music. And she climbs into the ring. And she's dancing very seductively right near Tito Santana. Well, Tito's not doing anything. Tito's a gentleman. You know that. He's just kind of looking at the goods as it were, kind of up up and down a little bit. Well, Adnan gets pissed. And, you know, Adnan grabs his harem lady, pulls her out of the way, kind of forcefully throws her to the other side of the ring. Tito didn't like this. So he grabs Adnan from behind like, hey, what the hell are you doing? Don't strike a woman. You know, certainly not in my presence. The upshot was that Adnan hit Tito over the head with the sword. And uh, Tito, I believe, uh, juiced a little bit on uh, on television as a result of that. It firmly established Adnan as a master heel in the AWA. And Tito was just getting his, uh, as I say, his wheels underneath him as a baby face. And the rest is history. But again, played to perfection and so simple. Nothing elaborate. This wasn't a half million or million dollar production with pyro and everything else this is a tv studio and and it just worked out so phenomenally well one of the great angles in awa history yeah and if i'm not mistaken this was before tito was referred to as chico santana by jesse right yeah that that is correct that is uh beforehand and again it was just the little things joe and chris we've talked about Mm -hmm. this you don't need to go apeshit and have a guy, you know, coming off a scaffold or a balcony on somebody through a table, which has obviously been gimmicked. Just get in the ring, you know, have have the one camera focused on what's going on in there, and you've established who's who. And that was the beauty of all-star wrestling. It, it's the emotion. It doesn't have to be – I feel like today's angles are more built on – the physical, the moves, and this and that, whereas this was the emotion, this was the character interaction between two or three individuals, and it was executed more so because of the personalities and not necessarily the the high, the big spots, the things that make you go, you know, this was awesome or holy shit. You're 100% correct, and when you talk about emotion, the wrestling fans had emotional connections. Mm-hmm to the wrestlers back at the time. I mean, they seriously hated the Sheik, and they felt this sympathy and empathy for Tito Santana. Nowadays, I don't think there is that connection. I think the fan involvement right now 
is we're supposed to do this. This is the way we're supposed to react. Uh, but back in the day, um, again, simplistic, but brilliant. Mm -hmm. Very good point. I have to ask or state, uh, it's a different time. And I, I, I genuinely don't know that if this angle played out today, that it, it would be over as it was at that time. Is, you know, is that because I'm not even going to ask the question. I'm going to state it. The, the bar has been raised so many times in so many ways. Uh, I use the uh, 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 Mick Foley uh, Undertaker uh, bumps through the top of the cage, off the top of the cage onto it. When you raise the bar so high mm -hmm. to, to get that reaction, all of a sudden the little simplistic things that used to be over are now like, what, that's all? You know, for better yeah. or for worse. It's like we, we, we've jumped the shark already in professional wrestling, and I just don't think we could go back to it. But for its time, a lot of the angles, we've, we've talked about in the last three episodes, the simplicity and the genius of getting these angles started and then carrying them on. It's a different time. It's a different era for better or for worse. Sometimes yeah. less is more. Less is more. Oh, and, you know, fortunately, and I'm still involved in, uh, in indie wrestling. And I do see a lot of that simplicity. I mean, mostly because they have to. They don't know if they're going to get the same guy back next month. It's not like, you know, indie wrestling today. I'll compare it. It really, I'll, I'll call it like it. It's like the AWA used to be on a smaller scale. But the difference, again, is the the indie wrestlers, you don't know that they're going to be there month to month. A couple of them you are, but you're not going to be able yeah. to, you know, to, to have a long-form angle run out for the most part. But the simplicity is still there in your indie wrestling, by the way, plug support your indie wrestling because these are the guys not all of them but you're going to see some great wrestling you're going to see some guys who are going to make it to the big stage at some point so support that yeah. back to the awa i miss all of these old angles i really do they brought up so many great memories even having a pull stuck up a turkey's ass, even talking about Larry Nelson's orgasmic response. Classic, just classic stuff. And I'm just, I love that we can talk mm -hmm. about it here on AWA Unleashed. You know, uh, Joe, you hit it right on the head as far as raising the bar is concerned. Uh, you know, you would think that the Mick Foley Undertaker situation uh, would have been like the penultimate, that would be it. But rest, they're continuing to raise the bar. And all you got to do is go look at some old ECW footage when you talk about the bar that's been raised and how far they will go these days in wrestling. Once you set that standard, it's exactly like you said. Everything else is just like, yeah, okay, now what? If you think about the last three weeks of memories that we've been doing here, guys, mm -hmm. 
it has all been about a single situation in the ring with two wrestlers and maybe a bottle of Gerolac or, or a wall or, you know, hitting a guy over the head. That's it. That it, And it's that simple. And I don't think the modern-day wrestling fan, like you say, Joe, they'll look back on that and they'll say, yeah, so what? Well, you know, where, where's the fire? Where's the, where's the four tables these, are guy, these guys are going through? Where's the thumbtacks? You didn't need them back in the day. It was a simpler time. And uh, hopefully when we do shows like this, we can rekindle some of the memories and maybe, you know, teach fans, modern-day fans, a few things. And speaking of Tito Santana here, guys, we got about five minutes left. Mick, uh, tell us something about Tito Santana that you know that you want the fans to know. We're going to get it. We are. We have been pursuing Tito Santana to be a guest on our show, on our podcast. And Tito's career, legendary, of course, in all the territories he worked, but his run in the AWA was superb. And I have been in contact with Tito. Uh, he has just retired uh, from his full-time teaching position uh, out in New Jersey. So his schedule has freed up a little bit. Sometime in the next couple of weeks, I, I think, I, Chris, you might have a tentative date. We're going to have Tito Santana on the show. And I am absolutely ecstatic about it. One of the real nice guys in the mm-hmm. business. Yeah, tentatively, the drop date for Tito Santana. Next week, we've got Troy Peterson from the Dan Gable Luthez Museum because we're going to be in Waterloo. Um, so we're going to drop Troy, you know, because we're going to, I, I want to, you know, talk about the talk about the Hall of Fame. There's a lot of really cool things. And, and I've met a lot of really awesome people that are now friends. Last year, my first time. So we're going to go back this year, going to be part of the podcast collective. Uh, thrilled to to be a part of that, you know, reconnect with some old friends, Mick, and, you know, hopefully meet some more new ones. And then Tito Santana hopefully should be the week after. So tentatively July 11th, mark your calendars because that is going to be Tito Santana uh, and uh, his AWA run. So that should be fun. And, and of course, we'll keep people updated. And the one thing I would say about Tito Santana, Chris, you were there, you know, when we saw him at one of the uh, one of the local events. Uh, Tito actually said to me, I haven't forgotten. I'm going to do your podcast. Just let me get, you know, the, the school year out of the way. But so, but that was that was after you slipped him. It, it appeared to be like a $50 bill. So, I mean. Uh, I, I'm going to call bullshit. Karch isn't getting anything out of his wallet. No. I was going to say, Chris, you're being really generous if you think I got 50 bucks. Might have Monopoly money, maybe. Maybe. Might have been. You know, I'm, I'm still paying the Verdania estate, the millions I cost him over the years, so I, I don't have a lot sure. of wiggle room. But uh, Tito Santana, uh, to my knowledge, never wrestled as a heel. If he did, maybe once or twice. Um Tito was a great, great guy. Worked with him in the AWF. One of the producers was Sergeant Slaughter. So this is going to be really, really fun stuff. We'll talk to him about Adnan, and we'll talk about the High Flyers and Rick Martell and Bockwinkle and and what have you. So mark the date down. I'll stay in touch with Tito, and if there's any change in the schedule, of course we'll let you know. Yeah, as they say, cards subject to change. Uh, we get about three minutes here, guys. Let's get to some shout-outs, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Uh, Mick, why didn't she go first? My friend, our friend, Scott Heddle, 
Uh, Scott is such a loyal wrestling fan. Uh, he's been around the business forever, loves the AWA, loves the local indie scene, and he loves our podcast. And he is one of those guys that continue, continuously will send us messages of support and gratitude that we're doing what we do. And uh, Scott Heddle, God bless you. And my shout out this week goes to Michael Brada. Uh, out of Chicago, longtime wrestling fan. Uh, he's provided some photos for me for Powertown Wrestling. Uh, do yourself a favor, check out Powertown Wrestling, the uh, new action figures, phenomenal. But I, I'm giving the shout out to Michael because uh, dual purpose. One, it fills in who I you know do my shout out for this week. And I'm going to say, you want a shout out, Go ahead and message me on, on Facebook. Give me some information, and maybe you can get your shout-out. But Michael's getting it this week because we had talked about last time about the Dr. X sitting in the audience thing, and I met I had asked you if you had if you were aware if this situation had happened before. And Chris, before I get into it, do you want to say something? You were holding up a couple of fingers. No, this is two minutes. This is your two minutes. Ah, yeah. shit. Give me 10. Kidding. But Michael brought, <laughs> Michael brought a uh, message to me and said that uh, um, back in the early 60s in Buffalo, they did a small angle with a young, clean-shaven ox baker in the studio before he was finally approached by the promoter to become a wrestler. So I didn't know that. So fans, anyone that's listening out there, when we say something, we've said it before. If we're off on a time, you know, an exact date or whatever, you get the gist of it. Please correct me, educate me, educate us on what was the proper time. This, this, this podcast is not gospel. We're here to share and have fun with you. And if we can provide information like Mike, Michael Brada did and, and share that with you, hey, all the better. So, Michael, thank you for sharing that information with us so that we could share it with our fans. And uh, I'm going to go with another Michael. I'm going to go with Michael Paul from Sarasota, Florida. Uh, just found our podcast, and he's been catching up. And uh, Michael... Uh, here's for you, my friend. Uh, here is your shout out. So thank you for finding the podcast and for, uh, you know, subscribing and, and just watching and listening. So uh, that'll do it for this week, guys. We do have Troy Peterson next week from the Dan Gable Luthes, uh George Tregos Museum uh, Hall of Fame in Waterloo. And I'm really excited because we're going to have some fun there in uh, just a couple of weeks. And uh, who? I mean, hey, what happens in Waterloo stays in Waterloo, right? It does. And, uh, you know, when, if we have to steal it, if we have to use skullduggery, we're winning that trivia championship this year. I'm hoping to be able to make it. I really am. But we'll see what the Minnesota Aurora do. And, and by the way, I'm going to have my Google ready to go.